So the first thing we do is go and knock. The first thing you want to do is try to be personal. This is my experience. Be personal. Judge the house. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back, guys. Happy Friday. I hope everyone is enjoying this amazing weather. I live for summer. I absolutely love it. Today's guest is John Scholler. He is a serial entrepreneur in Charleston, West Virginia, and uh, he has flipped over 110 properties in the last three years and also owns a CrossFit gym. He's super successful, and uh, I've actually, I think we met from Instagram. I mean, virtually, I guess, in, in today's world. Check him out, The Frugal Investor. He is doing so many great things, and a lot of his deals, like the numbers are pretty impressive, and sometimes I wonder, hmm, you know, is the U.S. market uh, an option? And you know what? Maybe it will be in the future. I love Ontario. I love where I'm investing, but uh, he definitely has had some amazing deals, amazing success, 110 properties in the last three years. Congrats. Congrats to John Scholler. Super inspiring. And uh, let's get on with the podcast. And hopefully you guys enjoy it and feel free to leave a rating and review or send me an email with your comments, Sarah at sarahlarby.com. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm super excited. So I ended up reaching out to you from Instagram because you had this amazing video about how it's not all rainbows and butterflies when it comes to real estate investing and shit happens. So I, uh, I wanted to first and foremost, uh, I, I want to get into the, you know, the, the, the bad or the less attractive side of real estate. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how uh, you got started in real estate investing. Yeah, so like you said, my name is John Scholler. Uh, my main company is John Scholler Consulting. I've ran businesses since I was 21 and uh, eventually became a consultant for businesses and finances. It's just a passion I had. And I linked up with these two guys when my wife and I moved here to Charleston for her doctorate school. I linked up with these two guys that were already flipping houses. And I knew I wanted to get into real estate too. I reached out to them, said, can I shadow you? Uh, long story short, fast forward three years later, uh, we are all now partners. I'm CEO in the company and we have flipped over a hundred and some homes in the last three years. Amazing. That's a huge accomplishment. How, how do you do that much in such a short amount of time? Uh, trial and error. So my partners like to work at the speed of light and I'm more conservative in, in my approach and we kind of push and pull on each other. So if it was just them, they probably would be at like number 250. And if it was just me, I might be on like house 10. So that was a happy medium was 100 for us. Now, those don't all come without error, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But uh, it's just building systems, everybody staying in their lane. My one partner finds the houses. He's acquisition. He finds the houses, sees what we're going to list them for and does the marketing. And then my other partner is the contractor. And he knows what we have to put into them. He manages all the contractors, manages the houses. And then I do all the back end of it, all the finances and the money and make sure we're straight there. That's awesome. So you're in Charleston, uh, so in, in the US, and obviously there are some differences, right, when it comes to, to the finances, the taxes, all the legal stuff, and probably some of the house prices as well. But I don't want to assume, like, what's a, a typical deal that you've done on the market right now? 
So let's uh, not confuse my Charleston, Charleston, West Virginia, with Charleston, South Carolina. One is usually more attractive to, to people than, than the other, <laughs> that and that's true, okay. actually. <laughs> right. So uh, here in Charleston, West Virginia, houses are, the marking is, uh, is cheaper than what, what most people see. Uh, we bought two houses last week for five and $10,000, which most people are like, what you, you can't buy anything. You can't buy a shed for that. Uh, but yeah. We okay. Hang on. Hang on. Five and ten thousand dollars. Like, like, is this an actual house? Like a brick house? Yes, it's an actual house. Yes, it's an actual house. It's it's the location. Uh, we have a lot of structural problems. We're, we're in the mountains, so a lot of uh, our houses have foundation. About eighty percent of the houses we get have something wrong with their foundation, which is a huge expense if you don't know what you're getting into. It could be anywhere from five thousand to fifty thousand dollars to fix it. So a lot of these homeowners don't have the cash to fix it to put it on the market because the banks won't lend on foundation problems. So then we get it for $5,000. So then do you sell, do you sell all of them? Do you keep some of them? What's the strategy? So we have uh, A&M investments is our flipping company. Like I said, we flipped over a hundred homes there. And then we also have uh, ANC properties, which is like a rent to own company. We have over a hundred properties there as well. And then we have an additional company called second chance properties where we are slowly grabbing these cheap properties. Like I just said, we're grabbing them for $5,000. We're going to put in enough work so they're livable and then rent them out. And we call that second chance properties. And I think we just bought our fifth home in that. All right. So, so I guess the 1% rule, potentially even the 2% rule where you're buying a house and the rent is 1% or a 2% rule being 2%. Some of this stuff doesn't really happen often where we live in Canada, right? Because the, the house prices, I mean, in order to get something that has some cash flow, it's not going to be the 1% you're probably going two hours out of any major city, right? So like two hours out of Toronto as an example or out of Vancouver. So, you know, how does that market look like for you? So we, so first of all, I think the real estate rules, the 1% rule, the 70% rule, I don't call them rules. I call them guidelines because it just changes from market to market. If you just stick to your rule, like if you were to just stick to your 1% rule and you were buying in Toronto, you probably never could buy a house, right? Or you never buy an apartment because it just doesn't, the numbers don't work out. So you're looking for probably appreciation or something else if you're buying in Toronto, but there's different strategies for every market. I think that those rules, AKA guidelines are something to help you get started to let you know at least what you're looking for. But if you're at 0.9% or if you're at 73%, that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy the, the house. It just means try to stay within these guidelines so that you don't get yourself in trouble. Yeah, that's, that's really well said because for me, I'll buy something that's at 0.8%, 0.7%. And I'm like, you know what? It's still good because there is mortgage pay down. I mean, appreciation is icing on the cake. You can't necessarily always rely on that. Yeah. But, you know, and the, the past is a strong indicator of the future over many, many, many years, not just a, a random one year or two. But, you know, over time, I think just holding, you know, they say it's time in the market, not timing it. But, um, and, and our vacancy rate here is like, one percent one and a half percent so we have a, a different problem than, than probably you guys out there so what does that look like in terms of vacancy rates how easy to, is it to, to rent a place uh, where you live and where it's, you're investing? E it's easy to rent a place here but you have to keep in mind there's pros and cons when we're buying houses for five thousand dollars it doesn't mean we're flipping them for Toronto prices and selling them for 1.5 million if that was the case we'd be really good <laughs> you do like to be like I'm done <laughs> <laughs> right so our market's capped, you know, we can't really, it's really hard for us to sell a house over $200,000 because of the income limits here. But to answer your question is the, is the rental market is good here, but you have to really, we had a drug epidemic, a uh, really bad drug epidemic. It's on Netflix. I forget what it's called, but uh, uh, meth kind of just 
we were called the meth capital of the world 45 minutes from where I'm at, where I'm at. So when you were renting, you have to be very careful. We have a lot of neighborhoods that have just collapsed and, and bad areas. And it's very unfortunate. Uh, the opioid crisis also got us. But anyway, so if you're renting, if you're going to buy a $5,000 house and rent it and with not putting any money into it, you're going to get a $5,000 renter. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to say anything bad about anybody, but that's, it's just, it's a matter of fact, if you've been in this game long enough, you understand that if you rent to somebody that's paying $300 a month in rent, they're going to treat your place like a $300 a month in rent place. So you have to be very careful and you have to do your due diligence of who you're getting in there. So while we can keep our places rented, getting good renters is the, uh, is the other, is the problem that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what about your state? Is it easy if a tenant stops paying to get them out or is it very pro tenant? We are the least pro tenant state in the entire United States. Uh, with that being said, it's still it's still not like just go up and say get out, but we just have the least amount of uh, time to wait and least loopholes. I believe I looked that up just like uh, maybe six months ago that we were the most landlord friendly state in the United States. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. 
Very cool. So like, give me an example of what that looks like. So somebody stops paying. Do you have an idea of what that process timeline looks like? It's about 30 to 45 days still. Um, I don't know if that's the most friendly landlord state. I'd hate to see how long it takes the least friendly. Uh, I've heard California could take years, but we basically, if they're not paying, we have to serve them. So we have to get like a PI to go serve them. We're not allowed to serve them ourselves. They get served and they have two weeks to respond. If they don't, don't respond, then we get to the magistrate and then the sheriff gives them an order to get out. Uh, but with that being said, our system, if our system moved quickly, we might be able to get people out in two to three weeks. But the magistrate and the sheriff and getting all this stuff is what takes the longest. Yeah, absolutely. Like for Ontario, for example, there's actually a lack of adjudicators. And so it's delaying the process, you know, without even getting a court. Like you might have a court date many, many, many weeks later because of the fact that there's just not enough of them. And then, you know, it's that ongoing issue and that ongoing problem. So screening your tenants, guys, is super important, especially in pro-tenant spaces. And just out of curiosity, though, you know, where you live, if you wanted to, you know, if, if you're buying something and there's already a tent in there and you took it over, let's just say they were still in there, how easy is it to get them out if you want to renovate or move in or like, what does that look like? So a lot of times, you know, there's all types of tricks you can do. We buy a lot of houses at auction. So there is oftentimes people still living in our houses. So the first thing we do is go and knock. The first thing you want to do is try to be personal. This is my experience. Be personal. Judge the house. If, if you knock and they're getting really angry, just you might have to go through the system. But go be personable. Yes, they're losing. Remember, they're losing their house. Whether their fault or not, they are losing their home. So just try to be respectful. Knock on the door. Uh, say, hey, look. Somebody was going to buy this house anyway at auction. We had no idea you were living here. We try to buy these empty, uh, but we buy them at auction. Then we find out you're living here. First thing we do is offer cash for keys. Uh, depending. If they start saying, look, I'm leaving in a week. Just give me a week. Then we'll be like, okay, fine. We'll back off. Uh, but the next step, they'll be like, well, look, I need some time. Be like, okay, how much time? Establish some barriers. Be like, okay, what if I give you 20 days, but I give you $1,000 to get out? Start low, but that's about, about average. And that pays for the moving expenses and all that. You might even have to set up the movers for them. These are all the things to get them moving faster. Remember, the court system and all that is going to cost you time and money too. So that you're, if you bought right, your margin should be there to be able to pay them to get out quickly. Because we're using investors' money. The faster we go, the higher their return, the more money they keep okay. with us. I'm one of our investors as well. So I like when my money, when that house is empty and we're starting the rehab as soon as possible. So that's what cash for keys is one. Just be polite, give them time, set up movers. Those are all different strategies you can use. And then lastly, you got to go through the court system if they're just not going to play ball and they will lie to you. They will lie to you over and over. Again. Right. Okay. No. So some great tips for sure. So, I mean, obviously you're doing a lot of, um, of business and you mentioned investors. Are these joint venture partners or are these strictly like money lenders and they're lending your, their money at whatever higher percentage and then you're using that? How does that work? So I guess I would be a joint venture partner in my own company because I'm actually hands-on and, and get into these houses and I've managed a few of them. But most of our money is hands-off. We have our money come in, we, we separate it because we're not, a, we're not a fund. So we have to keep it, our investors' money separate per house. So if you're going to fund a house with us, you have to fund the entire house, the purchase and the rehab. So we have some investors that have uh, 15 and 20 houses with us at a time and some that are just using their retirement funds to buy one house with us and do it that way. And uh, so the money comes in, we give them an ROI. We used to do a one third profit share and now we're on a percentage basis because it just works out simpler for everybody. They guaranteed get paid and we know exactly what we're paying each month. 
So we'll offer anywhere between eight and 12%, depending on how much money you give us and the length of time you keep your money. With okay. Us. All right. That's, that's awesome. So the reason I, I originally contacted you is because you had a great video on Instagram and you were talking about the darker side of real estate investing. And obviously with the amount of flips and, and properties that you, uh, you bought and sold or bought acquired, et cetera, you probably have your fair share of nightmares. So let's talk a little bit about that. And I do get a lot of requests saying, can we hear some of the cons of real estate investing and like, what are the things that can happen? And you know, for me, like, I don't have that many horrible stories. Things happen. I guess it's a mindset thing and how you look at it. Like, of course, there's going to be plumbing issues. There's going to be furnace issues, like all that stuff. Expect it. It does happen. But what is like, for example, like one of your stories that you're like, oh, crap, if I was like brand new, that that would suck. So just like what's happening to us right now, this month has been very bad for us in terms of getting our houses closed. In fact, since I've made that video yesterday, you know, it was yesterday. We were at the closing table. It was yesterday or the day before. Today's Sunday. So it was Friday. We were at the closing table with one of the houses we've waited a month and a half to close. Now, I don't know what y'all's closings are like. Ours are typically 30 days. So a month and a half isn't terrible, but we were told at around the one month mark, we were ready to close that week and it got drug out like another two and a half weeks. So we finally got to the closing table. We're getting ready to get paid lending error. Like literally we were signing the paperwork at a table. Our, our, our uh, supposed to be a rule here where the buyers have to be separated and sellers have to be separated in the room until the paperwork's done. And then they bring us together. Their realtor came over to our table and we were like, they came over to our room and knocked and we were like, no way, uh -oh. this is going to be bad news. And he said, lending error, this is falling apart. She has to go with another lender. So now we're another month out, but we've had four houses like that. And just by chance, three of them are the ones I'm invested on personally. And it's just where like two, two months, two and a half months out from getting our money. Now here's the problem with that. If you're just starting out and you counted on your money coming to you in a month, and you don't have any cash flow anywhere else, any other type of alternate income, you don't have any savings, and you're like, look, I'm good, I'll pay all my bills when I close this house next week. But what happens when that house doesn't close? What happens when the, when the buyer backs out or there's a lending error, and now you've got another month of bills and overhead and expenses till you get that check? So this is why I tell people to be careful, careful with the flipping houses only, don't, I'm not saying don't do it, but understand your money is never guaranteed. You, have, you, you can finish that project on time and under budget all you want. That does not mean it sells the next day. That does not mean that you're going to get exactly what you thought asking price. Uh, there's going to be repairs involved and all that. So be careful with your projections. Be very careful uh, about your strategizing your money so that when these houses close, that you're not just counting on that to get paid. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things can happen all the time. The more, you know, the more volume that you do, the more, the more stuff will happen. So that, that was a good example. Any other examples you can share with us? Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, is like, if you're going to flip a hundred homes, be prepared to bring money to the table. If I, I, being an investor now, I thought that like, if I was going to invest with somebody, if you rewind three, four years ago, if I was going to invest with somebody, I'd like to find somebody who's like, I flipped 500 homes and we make $50,000 every time without fail. If I heard that now I'm running. Like if you told me that you flipped any more than let's say 20 properties and you haven't lost, I know you're lying. Like I, I pretty much know you're lying. Like if you, if you haven't at least just broke even on a home because you can't do this for so long and never have a failure. Like you're never going to just not have a failure for doing so many uh, numbers. If, if you're doing a hundred homes, we've probably lost on, I don't know, five to eight of them. So, you know, we call it an eight to 10% loss rate, which is not bad but the amount of money you have to bring sometimes, and it's just gonna happen in this game. 
You're just not going to always get it right. A tenant sitting in a house for six months, like after you bought the auction house, if, it, if you have hard money and you're paying 12% on a tenant sitting in a house for six months, there goes yeah, your margin. Absolutely. It's a lot easier to you know, go over budget, to go over time, to underestimate what it's going to cost you. And sometimes the ARV can be totally, this is why like, I love the burst strategy. So I'm not ever going to do a hundred flips. I don't think that's for me. You know, like everybody's got their strategy that works for them. So for me, what I like is, is the burst strategy because I'm like, you know what, even if I am a little over budget or I'm a little bit over time at the end of the day, it's time in the market, right? The appreciation, the mortgage pay down, the cash flow, all that stuff makes it okay. You know, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer than others, but with flipping and especially so many, you don't have a whole lot of room for margins. And especially I'm thinking at your price point where you're looking at five, $10,000 properties. I mean, if you've got that low property, you're probably, your margins might be a little bit lower than if you were to buy a three or $400,000 property. That's exactly right. So we don't see the margins. Like when we do a flip, we don't see a $100,000 paycheck. So we have to do the numbers. Uh, but we do have some good ones. We just I closed one this week. That was my personal investment. I just, I'm putting a video out on YouTube uh, today on it. But we, we had about $49,000 into it. and uh, Sorry, $59,000 into it. And we made $39,000 profit. So that's right. I mean, that's like uh, 80, 90% cash on cash, something like that. So we do see, you know, typically big profit uh, margins for what we bought it for. But still, somebody in like California, they can't do a $50,000 flip. Their margins have to be much, much bigger because they might have to drop the price of their property 50 grand before they sell it. So we're only doing price drops of like two and 3,000. So there's pros and cons to every market. Another thing that's a pro to us is we don't have the competition. You know, I'm not saying we don't have any, but we don't have Toronto competition. So it's pros and cons. Where do you want to go? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny. I was talking to some of my realtors and like in the past, I don't know, month, it's just been crazy. They're like, the spring market is already here. There's like the, you know, the lowest um, that they've seen is three multiple offers. The highest, like in the past, like, you know, little while that people are putting offers in seven, eight, nine, it feels like 2017 again for us. That's when, you know, the, the banks decided to make some changes and things slow down a little bit, but you get, you gotta, you know, there, there's always risk, especially when you're flipping, right? Market downturns. Like what are some of the risks that you would say for newbies, but also experienced investors to keep in mind as, as markets change, but especially when they're flipping property. Oh yeah. If you're halfway through a flip in 2008, USA 2008 happens. Good luck. I don't know what to tell you. You're going to have to hold it. So I love the burst strategy. Don't get me wrong. That's a personal favorite of mine. I'm doing it right now with, with a personal fourplex that uh, my wife and I just bought. But you have to be prepared for that. And so like in our market, we don't feel over leveraged because when we see a hit, our, depreci our, uh, yeah, our depreciation in our market, let's say there's a huge market drop. We're going to see our $100,000 houses go down to like 92 to 90. So if we were planning to make $20,000 on that property, we're going to make 10 now, right? If that were to happen. But if you're in California, if you're in Toronto and you see the market drop, a million dollar home can go down to 750, right? And if you're trying to, if that was your margin on the flip, now what are you going to do? So you either have to sell it and lose money or break even, or you have to rent it. And good luck explaining that to your investor who thought they were just going to be in it for about six months to a year. So you have to be prepared for all this stuff. So that's, that's another pro of this market is we don't see the huge appreciation. Like you buy a house today for $100,000 here, it's going to be worth 110 in five years right? Three to five years might be one at 110, 120, depending on the area. 
Or Toronto, you buy something for 100000 which is a joke. But if you were, if you were to, it might be worth $150,000, one seventy in, in five years. You all, you all saw this. Uh, but the, the same goes true for the opposite. If it drops, you're going to see the same amount of drop. So we don't have the huge swings. So we're fortunate in that with our flips. We still have to buy right in case it happens. But if you're buying in a hot market, Houston, Atlanta, uh, Toronto, places like that, you have to be prepared if the market swings during your rehab process. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have you can also reach out to him instagram which is at blackjack contracting inc and like he says he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives so when you have blackjack on your side the house always wins i will also add that there is currently a ban as of april 4th on new permits so he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted so that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting so guys 100 i recommend blackjack contracting i will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. If the market swings, but also if the um, rules change when it comes to lending, right? So, you know, the market could stabilize, but like example of what happened in 2017 is the market was so hot, the government decided to cool it down by adding these rules and regulations cooled down the market, which I mean, I guess there's pros and cons to, to look at all of that stuff. But somebody mid flip, all of a sudden people get scared. They're not too sure they can't afford, you know, what they wanted to afford originally because uh, the, the criteria to qualify has changed. Well, you know, you might be left doing something different with that property. And that and that's the part sometimes that scares me with these big flips that are very expensive because when I'm doing something like a burr as an example, but if I were to flip something where I could rent and my rents would still cover, you know, my expenses and there would be a need for that in that market, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. So like for me in Toronto, I, I, this is just my opinion. I wouldn't flip Toronto because I could not, if, if it was a single family or something along those lines, I could not put a renter in there. That's going to cover everything. And I, I would be cash flow negative. So again, great way to look at the market and just to, to weigh your pros and cons and have more than one exit strategy, right? So when you're doing something, if your only exit is to sell, 
please think again because this is where we will get caught, unfortunately. And then you can lose a lot of money. That's definitely a downside of, of flipping because most flips only do have that. They're going in it with only one exit strategy, especially if they're borrowing money. So that's we're fortunate in all of our money's private money. Uh, investors like myself put our money in. So we don't have hard money. So we, we have to go like say it was me and it was like the market went went sideways for a minute. I would be under the understanding like, like we got to rent this for a little while. We got to rent it. But that's also if you're buying a flip, it's very, very intelligent. Like you were just saying to have another exit strategy. Say, can if the numbers if this if something goes south, do the numbers work out that I could rent this and at least cash flow 150, 200 bucks to carry this until the market corrects? Can I at least do that? If you're on hard money, most likely not. Most likely that's not going to happen. So you have to be very careful of that or figure out a way to refinance that hard money out to bring in a, a long-term investor. But that's often not an option for most. So in 2008, I mean, I was young then. I was, I was just three years out of high school. Um, so I didn't really know what was going I knew the economy was going down. I just started my first business, but I didn't have money in the market. I didn't have real estate. So I didn't really understand it. Now knowing now knowing what I bet like so many people had to lose their lose their butts because think about being over leveraged on about six flips with hard money in 2008, 2009 happens. I bet that's it. They just had to throw their hands up. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting and, and you're talking about money. So let's just say like for like Canadian thinking, maybe I should invest in the U S and like, let's not talk about taxes. Cause I would say talk to your accountant cause there are going to be tax implications but let's just say somebody wanted to invest with you guys. Like what's the process? So basically you reach out to us. Um, I'm not allowed to advertise for it yet. So you have to reach out to us and, and let us know that you're interested. Now I can market to accredited investors. That's typically not who we work with. So just say our typical investor, you can go with me, someone who has a, some cash sitting around, or a lot of people have money in their retirement accounts and they can self-direct it. Either one, either got cash or self-directed, or maybe you have access to a family member's money. So then you contact us and we sit down and figure out the parameters. Like how many houses do you want to do? Do you want to start with one or are you ready to deploy half a million dollars? Like where are you at on that? Then we work out a percentage basis. Somewhere between eight and 12%. Most people fall between, between 9.5 and, and 10.5, right in the middle. And that's how much money you give us and for how long. So uh, if you want to do a big flip, so one that's going to take six to eight months, we'll pay you a little bit more on that money. Now, if you just want to do a, uh, what we call basically a gap fund on a wholesale, basically we need this money right now to purchase this $30,000 house at auction. We're going to put it right back on the market for 50, right? And let, let another investor buy it. And so you're looking at a month, month and a half turnaround. So it's still excellent returns on your money, depending on what you have access to. to someone like you, someone that's active in the business, you're looking for much higher percentage returns, but you're having to work for it. You're having to find the deals and do all that. You're just handing somebody your money and making eight to 12%. That's typically a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say just because like our registered funds like are different, I actually don't think, and again, I'm not like an accountant. So please check with your accountant. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a mortgage broker. I'm not into those things, but I actually don't think from my understanding that you can transfer over RSPs or tax-free savings accounts because it's not like we have like a 401k or any of that stuff. So it's quite different. So I don't think we can actually transfer registered funds out of Canada. That's my understanding. So it would have to be like cash. Um, and yeah, so that's something happened. I wouldn't know either. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> so so I'm going to go ahead and say that that is from my understanding, that is not something you can do. So you, you'll need the cash to do that. Um, but you know, you could even do that in Canada too. Like there's lots of, of people that will take money that will pay, you know, through your RSP or your tax-free savings account, 
um, and it would be essentially as a second mortgage on a property. And essentially they, they will, you know, you, you'll get I don't know, anywhere between eight, 12, 15, like essentially you, you would work with that lender on what makes sense. So it sounds similar, I guess, with what you're doing. I just don't think that they can cross borders if it's registered funds, but that's good to know. I, I had no idea. Yeah, ours is called self-direct. Basically, it's called just self-directed IRA or Roth or solo 401k. Yeah. We got a bunch of them, but some of ours have checkbook control. So I'm signed up for it's called a solo 401k here. And I do the Roth version of that. And so I don't know what that translates to you guys. Yeah. So essentially that is, there's two people, two trust companies that will do it in Canada. So it's community trust and Olympia trust. And there's a third one that's like more, out, I think out West, but it's similar. It's just different. So you get actual checkbook control of your own retirement funds. You can loan it out on uh, real estates, but there are going to oh. be rules and regulations around it. Okay. So our, our solo 401k gives, I'm actually the trust of my own retirement account. I get a checkbook to it. And I can do whatever I want with it. I can invest. Well, there's, there's some rules. I can't invest it in myself or, or a close family. I can't invest it in my own businesses. There's no self-dealing, basically. But outside of that, it's on my discretion of how I want to lend it out and build that account. As long as the money comes out of there, it goes right back in there. I can never touch it. Until yes, soon. that's 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 interesting. Now, are you guys able to loan out to family? Because that is one of the things that we cannot do. So it has to be arm's length, meaning not blood or marriage related. Yeah, so I think that I, that's similar, and I don't know. I think that like if it was a cousin or something, then maybe, but definitely not my wife. I know that's for a fact. No wife. I don't think like her parents or anything like that. But like a brother-in-law, something like that. I think you're allowed to invest with them. I don't. Again, nobody quote us on anything we're saying here. Uh, neither one of us are accountants, but I'm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I can do that. An extended family member. Yeah, and you know what? Actually, the the rules and regulations. If you go to Community Trust or Olympia Trust for Canadians, anyways, thinking about this, they'll actually list them out, like what can be done with them and what cannot be done with them, and who you can loan it out to and who you can receive it from. Because you also can't say like if I. If I have an RSP and then you have an RSP, let's switch them out. Like you're going to get actually red flagged by, by CRA. So, you know, you work through your accountant on how to do it, but just like follow the rules. There's definitely more than, you, than just buying mutual funds and, and putting your money into the stock market. Like you, you can use it in real estate, but there are many rules and regulations. So just make sure that you guys are aware of it. Awesome. Okay. So John, the next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You're going to give me the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Probably rich dad, poor dad. Although it's not exactly a real estate book, it definitely sets the mindset of how you should be looking at life and your, not just life, but your finances for sure. Okay. All right. Great book. Number two, what is your favorite podcast? Yours. Really? Really? I would have to say my favorite podcast is definitely Bigger Pockets. Like that, that's the one that really got me uh, understanding a lot of this. Awesome. Question number three, what, what do you do for fun when you are not doing anything related to real estate? What's your favorite pastime? Uh, weight training. I, I, I do a lot of, I actually own a gym as well. And so I'd have to say weight training is like my pastime uh, um, passion. Very nice. Do you guys have orange theory fitness where you are? That's funny. Yes. They're a direct competitor to me. Uh, uh, that's where I go. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. They, they, they do really good. They have outstanding marketing and they seem to, uh, they seem to go off a good customer service. So kudos to them. But yes, they opened up here about, about a year ago, about a year after I opened my gym and, uh, it is the hot new thing right now. So uh, we felt, we felt that a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. You know what? If you had a gym there, like near me, I'd probably go to yours, but okay, thanks. 
All right. Number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Reestablishing connections like as quickly as possible. Like I would just get right back with the same people that I had built this with and around the same people. I, I, that's, I know this is a lightning round, but real quick, that's probably the most important thing to do is get around the right people, especially if you're not someone that can just go do all this by themselves, which I don't think anybody can, but get back around the same people where you saw that shift. Like if you started being successful at some point in your life, get around those people again as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That saying, right? Your network is your net worth. Right. Is, uh, is definitely true. Awesome. Last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? Assuming all their debts or all their bad debts are paid and assuming they have an emergency fund set aside, I would do a joint venture or an investment with somebody. If you're, if you're not someone that knows all the lingo and knows how to look for properties and all that, I would find a company like ours, not making a pitch, but find, a, find an investment company that will allow you to like kind of look through the glass. And what I mean by that is you don't just hand them their money and they hand money back. If you really want to do this, hand them your money and say, hey, for a decreased percentage or for almost no, can I do, just hand you my money and you give it back, but I want to follow you around. I want to shadow you. I want to see exactly how the behind the scenes work for this. And if they do that, if they won't do that, then move on to the next one. Somebody will, especially if you're going to hand them about 50 grand uh, interest free. But keep in mind, while you don't make any money there, you're learning. So you're paying for an education. So if you get that 50 grand back in six months and you learned how to find a deal, that's worth it. I think you would agree to that. Yeah. Awesome. All right, cool. So John, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more? So there's multiple places you can find me. You can find me on Instagram at The Frugal Investor. I'm really active on there. I'm also active on my account, John Scholler. You can find me on all my accounts at John Scholler on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Instagram is the most active. And then YouTube, I try to do one video a week on behind the scenes of house flipping, investing, and strategizing your money. Very cool. Any final last words of advice? Read three books. After three books, Put it, to, put it to work. You got to get to action because like, that's the other thing. I, I got hung up on this. Read, research, read, research, watch podcasts, watch podcasts. That's not going to make you any money. It's going to give you the tools to make money. It's not going to make you any money. So right now, if you're watching this, get on, get on meetup.com. I don't know what it is in Canada. If you guys have that. Yeah, we have meetup. Perfect. Get on meetup.com, search real estate investor meetings in my area, real estate, investor, real estate meetings in my area, and go to at least three to five meetings over the next month. Go to all of them. Sit there. Don't say a word shake hands, introduce yourself, but just take it all in. And then after you're about your second or third meeting, start introducing yourself and say, Hey, I want to get started in this. Can I take you guys out to lunch? That's Absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. And actually a lot of the listeners probably know this, but I'm a co-founder of probably one of the largest uh, clubs in Ontario and uh, the right club. So if, uh, if you have not attended yet and you want to attend, feel free to come out. We have about 250 to 300 people that come out every single month and it's uh, it's pure real estate education. We switch the topics around so that people can, uh, can learn a little bit about everything. But John, you mentioned that you learn and you read and you learn and you read network, but take action. Don't have that analysis paralysis, right? So yeah. at some point you got to pull the trigger. Right. Awesome. John, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and all your insights and guys check out his Instagram, his YouTube. And you know, this guy is, uh, is doing awesome things and, uh, you know, willing to share. So thank you for all your insights. Absolutely. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but 
As I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.